You're listening to WBC Audio. My name's Jeremy, and I'm a local pastor here in Whitehorse, Yukon Territory. Let's jump into this week's message. We've been going over a series called How I Met Jesus, and we've had several people now share their story of how they met Jesus on on these video formats. And since we've uploaded them, we've had over a thousand people listen to your story uh, through our Facebook page and through YouTube. Uh, People around Canada, people around the world hearing how you met Jesus. And uh, if you're interested in doing that, uh, you can come talk to me. I can set up um, a video taping for you and you can share your story and bless others and here and around the world. So thank you, Ralph, for sharing the series, How I Met Jesus, Hearing Stories and Studying John's Gospel. John's gospel is an account of Jesus' life and teaching and how people reacted, what Jesus said, what he did. This morning, we're going to meet, we're going to meet some Greeks in uh, John 12, John chapter 12, verses 20 to 36. And we've been going through the series now, a uh, blind man being healed by Jesus, a uh, person paralyzed being healed by Jesus, people sick getting healed by Jesus, Jesus meeting people, everyday people just like you and me and changing their lives. And I want to show you from this text in John chapter 20 that Jesus died to give us life. He died to give us life. Before we get into this section, I want to tell you a little bit of history from the Old Testament, which is the first basic half of the Bible, and how for generations, the nation of Israel and Jews, they were waiting for this promised Messiah. God promised this Messiah, and a Messiah would be someone who would rescue the Jewish people from their heartache and from foreign rule and from, and from everything and bring them to a new land. So they were waiting for this Messiah. They believed that he would come from the David and that he would rescue the people. For generations, they would wait for a king. A king would come, started with King David, and he wasn't so great. He died, and then there was another king. And then this king wouldn't be so great, and then he died. And there'd be another king, and this would happen again and again. And they were thinking, when is the Messiah coming? When is he going to rescue us? They were waiting for the chosen one. They were waiting for the one that would change it all. And we know in sports, they think there's the chosen one, right? There was one, Wayne Gretzky, but he doesn't play anymore. But every team, every sports team, whether it's amateur or toddlers or or professional, you want want the chosen one. You want to find the perfect athlete and you're you're looking for them in high school. Oh, there's a guy, you know, seven foot one, 250 pounds. He can run the 100 meter in less than three seconds. This guy He's going to change our team. We got to get this guy. He's the chosen one. Maybe before high school, they're in, uh, they're in maybe toddler land looking for little kids. Like, oh, this kid, he's, he walks pretty good. He can play soccer. Maybe he'll be the next Lionel Messi. Maybe he'll be the next Pele or David Beckham. We all want this chosen one. And, and the Jews, they were waiting for this, for this Messiah. But how would we know? How would we know if the Messiah were to come? What would we look for? What kind of things would the Messiah 
do? Well, there's people called the prophets. These prophets, they, they would speak on behalf of God. God would speak to them and they would tell regular people who don't have direct access to God. So these prophets, they would say things to people. And there's a particular prophet named Isaiah. And he spoke with God and he, he knew something of the coming Messiah. And in Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 to 6, he tells us what, it's, what this Messiah, what he would be like. He said, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap up like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. So Isaiah is talking about this person who would heal the blind, heal the crippled, this miracle man. You got to look for a person who performs miracles. So then we fast forward 700 years after Isaiah wrote those words to the New Testament, to the gospel. And a man named Jesus shows up, born of a virgin, grows up, does a few things, a few miracles. The book of John highlights seven miracles that he, he's done. Seven miracles before the chapter we're looking at this morning, chapter 12. So, so Jesus does seven miracles in the entire book of John. There's 21 chapters in the book of John, but all his miracles happen right before chapter 12. And these are the seven miracles in John's account. The first one, very famous one, he changes water into wine. His second one, he heals this royal official's son who's deathly ill. His third miracle, he heals a paralyzed man. His fourth miracle, he feeds over 5,000 people. His fifth, he walks on water. His sixth, he heals a man who has been born blind. And then in chapter 11, he raises his friend Lazarus from the dead. The miracles are increasing in intensity. So the water to wine, healing the sick boy, healing the paralyzed man, feeding 5,000. People are, people are talking. People are wondering. They're hearing about this miracle man. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be who Isaiah was talking about? Could this be who the prophet was talking about? Prophets were talking about. And then, and then you get to the seventh miracle. He heals his friend Lazarus from the dead. This is significant. This has never happened in the history of humanity. And this is his climactic, crowning, top. This is the miracle. And for the culture at that time, they believed that when people died, that their spirit would leave their body, but for three days it would hover around the earth. And for three days, there was a possibility that the spirit could enter back into the body and they'd come back to life again. But Jesus, with Lazarus, waited four days he waited four days, so without a doubt that no one could say, oh, it was only day two. He's alive. Well, we knew that could happen, so not a big deal, Jesus. But Jesus waited four days so that without a doubt, this man is dead. Lazarus is dead. And he comes along, and he raises him to life. And it gets people talking. Is this, is this Messiah? He's been healing the blind, the sick, and now he just raised someone from the dead. 
whoever this man is, there's some people who are very interested. The Greeks. The Greeks would come, and this is where we pick it up in John chapter 12, verses 20 to 36. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow behind me on the screen. There's also Bibles under the seats in front of you. It's on page 899, starting in verse 20. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. So here we have a scene. There's a Jewish feast happening at this festival at the temple. And some Greeks want to see Jesus. So this is happening on a Monday. And we see these Greeks in Jerusalem at a Jewish feast. That's kind of odd. Greeks don't show up to Jewish feasts. But because they heard about Lazarus, they want to meet Jesus. They want to see who this guy is. But it's kind of interesting. We actually don't know if they met Jesus or not. The, the account doesn't say. But Jesus sees the Greeks' request to see him as a changing point for his life, as a changing point for all of eternity and all of history. Everything at this very moment in chapter 12 will change for Jesus' life and for us as well. So in verse 20, the Greeks say, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. So he's talking to followers of Jesus. We wish to see Jesus. And then in verse 23, 
Jesus vaguely responds, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So Jesus, do, do you want to see them or not? I don't, I don't understand what you're talking about. What is Jesus talking about? The hour has come. The hour has come. Up until this point, up until chapter 12, Jesus has consistently said, time after time, that my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. It's not time. My hour has not yet come. He says this on four occasions. John chapter 2, verse 4. At the wedding in Cana, when Jesus' mom tells him that they're out of wine, Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. Kind of vague again. Second time, John chapter 7, verse 4. His brothers, who kind of doubt that Jesus is this Messiah or anything special, they say, Jesus, if you are so special, you should go to this feast and show yourself. But Jesus says to them, my hour has not yet come. The third time, in the same feast, some Jews were trying to capture him. And then he says, my hour has not yet come. And the last time in John 8, when Jesus was openly teaching in the temple, openly teaching about himself and the kingdom of God, his enemies were trying to capture him again. And he says, my time has not yet come. The hour had not yet come. But in John chapter 12, verse 23, we see here in this text, when the Greeks want to see him, he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So what hour are we talking about? What is Jesus talking about? The hour for him to die. Monday, the Greeks are seeking Jesus. Four days later on Friday, he will be crucified. So this very moment in history marked his life, being born, doing all these miracles, showing that I am God. In chapter 12, right at this very moment with the Greeks coming, that ball's going to start rolling and he's going to die by crucifixion. Jesus died to give us life. This was the purpose. This was why he came. This was the hour he came for. This was the plan all along that God would become a man He'd be born of the Virgin Mary. He would grow up. He would perform all these miracles. He would teach of the kingdom of God. And people were thinking, maybe this guy is the Messiah. I'm not sure. People were rejecting him. People were embracing him. And at this very moment, his life is starting to end. He will be murdered. He will be crucified. And he did this on purpose. This was the plan all along that he would step down from heaven and he would take all the evil, all the wickedness, all of our sins upon himself and he would die and nail it all to the cross. He did this before we've ever asked for this. He forgave us before we ever asked for forgiveness. Jesus paid the penalty that we should have paid, that we rightfully owe. Jesus died to give us life.
He was telling the people that he was going to die a certain death by crucifixion. This was the Roman Empire's most brutal masterpiece torture event, the most horrible killing event ever known. It was humiliating and it was comprehensive. They would nail people, criminals. These are the most derelict criminals of the time. They are the ones who go to crucifixion. So when he says in verse 32, when I am lifted up from the earth, everybody knew at that time, that was a Jewish kind of slang for saying crucifixion. So when I'm lifted up from the earth, everyone knew he's talking about crucifixion because to get crucified, they would throw these men and women down on the ground. They would nail their hands to a cross, nail their ankles to the cross, and then they would lift up the cross, placing into the ground. And that's why saying, I will be lifted up from the earth. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. He wasn't just going to die of old age or cancer or anything. He was going to die the most humiliating, horrific death for us and for all of humanity. Chapter 12 marks the beginning of the end for Jesus. And Jesus died to give us life. But this didn't catch him by surprise. This wasn't, this wasn't out of the plan. He knew this was going to happen. And in verse 27, he says, For this very purpose, for this very moment, to die on a cross was the purpose for which I came. And 700 years before that happened, Isaiah the prophet wrote about it. Before he was born, before Jesus was born, Isaiah wrote about it. In chapter 53 of Isaiah, verses 4 to 6, this is what he says. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our our iniquities. This is our sin. This is our adultery. This is our lying. This is our crimes against God. Jesus is going to pay for this, Isaiah is saying. The punishment that was brought, the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And catch this. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus is the Messiah and the Messiah has come to die. And this was an offense to those who thought the king would come and have this empire and rule and give them new life. He came to die? He's supposed to save us. What's he going to do dead? He's no good to us dead, this dying Messiah. Yet Isaiah says, by his wounds, we are healed. He's going to do so much more through his death than what Israel and the Jews ever thought possible. And he died to give us life. This cost Jesus greatly. God could have destroyed a planet to pay for our sins. He could have wiped out all the rats in the world to say that this is enough for the sins of humanity. But he didn't do that. Jesus himself, God himself comes down in human form to pay a price that he didn't owe 
for a penalty that we deserve. Jesus emptied himself. He stepped down from his heavenly throne and became a baby and grew up and suffered as we do. And he died the most horrendous death on the cross for us. This is a free gift that's offered daily by Jesus. When we think of grace as a free gift, which it is, and we don't have a problem thinking of grace as a free gift, but to the Romans, to the Jews, to the people at this time, you don't give gifts away for free. You give gifts to people that deserve it. So when someone got a gift, it's because they deserved it and they understood that. But Jesus is saying something totally different, totally radical, totally countercultural. I'm not dying because you did anything. I'm not dying because of who you are. I'm dying for you because I am love. And I'm going to pay the price for you even though you don't deserve it. This is a new concept of grace for all of us. It costs him dearly, and it's going to cost us dearly as well. He continues, Jesus, in verse 25. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Jesus, since he showed up on the scene, we're only reading three years of his life. We don't have accounts of when he was a kid or anything like that. But for the three years of his life that we read in John, he's saying to people, follow me. Saying to fishermen, uneducated people, follow me. Lawyers, follow me. Kings, rulers, everybody, you, me, follow me. Okay, where are you going? I'm going to die. You must die to yourself. In in verse 25, when it says, a person should hate his life, that was a Jewish saying. That was Jewish exaggeration. It's talking about preference. You should love me above all things, including yourself. Die to your ambitions, consider my ambitions. Consider my agenda. Die to yourself. It's costly. It's a costly grace because it costs Jesus so much and it's going to cost us much as well. Jesus is saying, don't have preference for yourself. If our love for our own life is greater than our love for Jesus, He's saying we will lose our life and suffer eternally in hell. But if we choose Jesus over our love for our own life, we will keep it. We will keep our life for an eternity with Jesus. He's saying, I've set up a room for you in my home. I have a place for you at my table. These are eternal matters. Follow me. This is where I'm going. So right here in verses 25 and 26, it creates a crisis for each of us. Will we choose to die with him? Will we exchange our agenda 
for his, to know him, to make him known here in Whitehorse, here in the Yukon and around the world? Or are we going to choose our own ways? Rejecting Jesus with the sum of our habits. He's saying to us, choose this, choose this day who you will follow. Jesus died to give us life. We're not promised tomorrow. I'm going to close with these words from Jesus, starting in verse 35. So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. He's saying there's a momentary time where we have a choice. And it's not enough that Jesus died for us. To say to someone, Jesus died for your sins is not enough. Is not enough unless he rises from the dead to show that the power of death does not hold you. That his life, his resurrection is for us as well. If there is no resurrection, there is no Christianity. We, this morning, the Apostle Paul says, should be most pitied if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. The reason we can call it Good Friday, the reason we can celebrate a man who was murdered on a cross for something he didn't do, is because three days later he rose from the grave to show that sin has no captivity on him and nor does it have on us. And by faith alone in that work, we are promised eternity. Amen. Thanks for listening to Whitehorse Baptist Church Audio. If this message has made an impact in your life today, we'd love to hear from you. You can also download past messages, share them with a friend, or find out how you can partner with us to keep this ministry going. For all that and more, visit whbc.ca. That's whbc.ca.